Well, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a joy it is to be here. Brother Ron, what a joy to see you again. Let's thank Brother Ron one more time for blessing us today. So good to see you again, brother. God bless you. I have really looked forward to this day. Uh, First of all, it's a good Saturday. Anytime I don't have to get on an airplane, that's a good Saturday. But my wife gave me a whole bunch of stuff to do yesterday. I wish it rained yesterday. I really do. I I could have got out of all that stuff. But uh, no, but it's good going. But it's really an honor not just to be a Chandler Drive, but to be with Brother Jonathan. I really am blessed, brother. I've anticipated this week's this week or this day for a number of weeks, and so I'm so grateful. Uh, literally, have watched him over the years uh, grow up, and uh, and uh, what God's doing in this man of God's life, and had the privilege to be at he and Rebecca's wedding. Uh, how many years ago was that, brother? Wow, it's 16. I think we had just moved to Jacksonville at that time, but but it, it's it's awesome to be at Schindler Drive, and we had a wonderful first service, and God's going to do a great thing in this service. I want you to take your Bibles, go to the 24th chapter of Matthew. I just have had a burden this weekend to preach about the coming of the Lord, and I just want to preach about that. I wish you a happy Father's Day, all of you dads, and uh, it's a privilege to 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 be a father. And I thank God for you and thank God for your ministry and the lives of your precious children. My three kids are grown. Two of them uh, I will not see today except on FaceTime. But I will have lunch with one of them, uh, my son, in a little while. And so I wish you happy Father's Day. Stand for the reading of the Word of God. Would you do that, everybody standing? As we talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus, I am in Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 37. And I will read through... The 42nd verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. I'm preaching today on this subject, taken, taken. Thank God for his word. Please be seated. Let's pray together. God, thank you, Lord, for the privilege to open your book today. And God, I pray now that you would do that which I cannot do. I can't work it up. I can't perform it or manufacture it. God, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So I pray, God, that you would loose me and let me go. God, we come against our enemy and we want him to know that we know that he's a liar and he's a loser and he's welcome nowhere in this house today. So God, I pray you'll do the preaching and I promise God we'll give you the glory and we'll thank you and praise you for everything you'll do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Titus 2.13 says we are looking for that blessed hope. I love the story of the highway patrolman that was sitting by the road one day and saw a car slowly puttering down a busy highway, impeding a long line of traffic behind it. So the officer pulled the car over. When he walked up to the vehicle, he saw five old ladies sitting in the car. Four of them looked like they'd seen a ghost and were crying. But one of them, the elderly woman driver, was irritated. So she looked at the officer and began to chew him out. And she said, how dare you stop us? I always obey the law of the land. In fact, I was doing exactly the speed limit of 22 miles an hour, like that sign right over there says. 
The officer looked over the sign, began to laugh and said, oh, no, ma'am. Said, that's not the speed limit sign. That's the highway sign. This is Highway 22. And when he said that, one of the old women in the back started screaming bloody murder. She said, oh, thank you, officer. You just saved our lives. For the last two hours, we've been on Highway 180. And we're about to turn on Highway 301. Thank you very much. Now, son, I'm going to tell you what that old woman was doing. That old woman was reading the signs. I tell you, Brother Jonathan, what I've been doing, I've been reading the signs. I'm not talking about the signs on the highway. I'm talking about the signs of the times. And the signs of the times, I believe, tell us we're living in the last days. And I don't know when the conclusion of those days will be, but I mean, think about it. It's exciting. This might be the generation, could be the generation that would see that glorious event called the rapture. Because I really believe any moment now, God the Father could turn to his son, Jesus, and say, go get your bride. Jesus will grab Gabriel and the trumpet, and they'll step down off the portals of heaven and do something Jesus hadn't done for over 2,000 years. He will descend back to this planet. He'll fly through the constellations and through the solar system, through the universe, through the stars and the suns and the moon, and he'll stop in the clouds. When he stops in the clouds, he'll supernaturally stand in the clouds, and he'll shout in the clouds. And when Jesus Christ shouts, an amazing thing is going to happen. Every believer who is alive standing on top of the earth and every believer who is buried underneath the earth is going to get a new body, rise up from the ground and fly at the speed of light to meet Jesus in the air. It is an event that is called the rapture. And when that happens, we will be taken, taken, not abducted, but ascended, taken, not kidnapped, but caught up, taken, not taken by death, but taken by the one who overtook death. It is called taken. Matter of fact, Jesus used that very word taken. He used that in the gospel of Matthew students. He said it twice in three verses. Look what Jesus said in verse 40 of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. Everybody say that word out loud with me. Say it again. Taken. One will be taken and the other left. He repeats it in verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill or the business place or at work. One will be, here's our word again, taken and the other left. That word taken is a cool word. Literally, it means to draw to or to receive. But I love it because it comes from another Greek word closely associated with it that means to be associated with. So literally, when you put all that together, that word taken means Jesus is going to draw away those that are closely associated with him. Man, that's good. That means you're not going to be taken just because you're an American citizen. You're not going to be taken just because you're a good old boy. You're not going to be taken just because you're a nice guy. You're not going to be taken just because you're an honor student or religious or a church member. The only ones going to be taken are those that have a close personal relationship with the one doing the taking. And you know what I'm excited about? And I really preach this with fervor. I believe I could be taken before I finish the next sentence. Can you all imagine what would happen if we were taken right now? This Bible would lay on this stand because I preached my last sermon. Brother Ron will have sung his last song on this planet, but he'll join the heavenly choir to sing with everybody else. And Ron, I'll be able to sing as good as you will on that day. So I'm pretty pumped about that. All the boys and girls that are in classes today will be taken and won't have to be picked up after Bible study. When you go to your car, you won't go to your car because all your car keys and truck keys will be left laying on the seat because you would have caught a first class one-way ticket courtesy of Air Jesus 
and you have blasted off to meet him in the sky. We'll be taken. I've got three simple words to say in this simplest of sermons about being taken. Number one, I believe we'll be taken because it is a promise. I'm going to say that one more time. It's a promise. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, that word days there means the season of Noah or the time of Noah. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour that he's coming. You better believe that. He said that in the preceding verse. But he gives us the season. He tells us that it will be a season like Noah's day. I've got six wonderful grandchildren, five girls and a boy, one boy, five girls and a boy. Now, the oldest is only still 12 years old, and so most of them are still very young. But you know what I've done? Parents, I've learned a new language over the last 12 years. I mean, 12 years ago, I didn't know words like Paw Patrol and Bluey and Jake and the Neverland Pirates. And and here's one, uh, Doc McStuffins. Because, I don't know, my granddaughter Braylon, who's now 10, when she was about five years old, she was over the house one day, and I happened to be home that week, and I was up watching the morning news. I watch the news every morning, even though it makes me mad sometimes, I watch it every morning. Well, Braylon came over, sidled up next to me on the couch, said, I want to watch Doc. So we had a bunch of Docs recorded, and so I put on Doc McStuffins, and I'd never watched it until that day. And I was watching Doc McStuffins. I thought, this is, pretty, this is pretty good. And I kept watching Doc. And I didn't know my granddaughter got up to go back to the playroom after sitting with me about 10 minutes. I guess I was just so enamored with watching Doc. Well, my daughter come out of the room and she said, Dad, she said, Braylon's already gone to the playroom. You can turn it back and watch the news. I thought about it for a minute. I said, no, I think I'm going to keep watching this. It's a whole lot better than the news. Can I get a witness? I mean, son, if you watch the news, it'll sour your stomach. The the news will stick in your heart. If you watch the news very long, it'll get disgusting and depressing. And students, they didn't have social media in the days of Noah, but I believe if they'd had news, it would have been just as depressing. I want to take just a moment to talk about the days of Noah. Not going to be long. Probably there's two characteristics of Noah's day I really want to preach today. First of all, I want you to notice the atmosphere of Noah's day. Take your Bibles real fast and flip over to the very first book of the Bible. I'll be back in a moment, but go to the book of Genesis. We'll find Matthew in just a moment. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 5. He gives us the atmosphere of Noah's day. He says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness, Genesis 6, 5, of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now notice those two words, students, wickedness and evil, because they're the same Hebrew word and they're interchangeable. Literally, it means moral badness. So he's talking about a day that was just morally bad. Talking about a day when all the standards were turned upside down. Talking about a day when folks were mixed up about marriage. Talking about a day when it was instant gratification. And if it feels good, do it. So we're living in a generation kind of like that, wouldn't you say? So he said the days of Noah were a day when everybody was morally messed up. And then he talks about the violence of the day. Look down at the 11th verse of Genesis 6. He says, the earth also was corrupt. What a powerful word before God. And the earth was filled with violence. Matter of fact, God says that twice. That word violence, he says it in verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me and the earth is filled with violence. So the Bible said that the days of Noah, the atmosphere was not only morally messed up, 
but it was full of violence and crime. That word corrupt means to decay or spoil. I mean, everybody knows we're living in a day like that. You understand we're living in a great day of rage. Paul described that day. 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul said in the last days, uh, we would have days of pestilence and perilous. Paul used that word perilous. He said perilous times would come, which means days of rage. Days when everything nailed down is coming loose. Jesus said in Luke 21.9 that the last days would be filled with wars and commotion. And that word commotion means instability, means restlessness. Everybody knows we're living in days like that. Uh, we're living in days that shock us every day. Uh, like the 14-year-old boy over in St. John's County who, who killed his 13-year-old classmate. And by the way, students, he told some guys in his class he was going to kill somebody the night before he killed her, stabbed her 114 times. Seems every time we look at the news, it's sicker than the day before. Is that not right? I mean, Noah's day was like that. Noah's day was a day of awful filth and corruption. Well, that's the atmosphere of Noah's day. But I've not really come to preach on all that. Everybody knows we got bad news. I've come to preach on the attitude of Noah's day. For there's not only an atmosphere, there was an attitude. Go back in your Bibles to the main text. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 38, and I really want to preach this. Verse 38 says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Students, you know what that means? Eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Literally means this. It means they were so absorbed in their own daily schedules, they paid no attention to what the preacher was preaching. They were so absorbed in what they were doing, they had no clue that God was fixing to interrupt everything. Students, imagine this. There's a nut out there in the desert building a big boat. Now, he's a nut, everybody thinks, because it's never rained. They didn't know what rain was. I mean, it's not what it's doing outside today. We have no trouble believing in rain. But I'm telling you, in Noah's day, it had never rained. Historians and scholars believe that vapor canopy that God put above the earth to moisten everything, it had never rained. Well, you've got a nut out there who spent too much time in the hot sun. And he's building a boat, bellowing from the, from the, from the deck of that ship to everybody that will listen, it's going to rain. It's going to flood. So you know what they did, students? They laughed at him. Peter called him a preacher of righteousness. But they laughed at the preacher of righteousness. They were just as unconcerned about the boat he was building as the message he was preaching. A nut said it's going to flood. And then the Bible says one day God put all those animals on the ark. God put Noah and his family on the ark. God shut the door and the flood began to come. The, the geysers, the floodgates from the bottom of the earth began to shoot up through the ground and rain fell from the sky. And Brother Jonathan, I'm one of those preachers that believe. I believe old Noah, while he was on that boat, that crowd began to swim to that boat. Those that had not drowned yet, beaten on the door of that ark, let us in. But God had shut the door. Well, I'm going to tell you, I do not compare myself with Noah. But I'm telling you, preachers today can get up and preach what I'm preaching. And some folks think, well, preacher, you're just a nut. That's really not going to happen. You mean to tell me you believe a man is going to come and stand in the clouds and jerk everybody off this planet just with his voice? Oh, not just a man, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, when Jesus speaks, I'm going to lose this flesh, put on a brand new body, blast off to meet him in the air. And I'm claiming it. I'm claiming my brand new body will have long blonde hair. And I'm going to wave it all the way up to the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. You know why? Because he promised us. He promised us that one day the last person's going to be saved and he's going to split the sky 
and call us home. I love the story of the dad and his daughter that were out swimming in the ocean one day and she was a good swimmer. But the dad looked up and realized that the waves had pushed them way out and they were in danger. The turbulence was bad. And he knew that if they tried to come in together, they would pull each other under and both drown. He made an incredible decision. Dad, you know what he did? He decided to leave his daughter out there. He said, baby girl, daddy's taught you how to float and you're a great floater. I want you to lay her on your back and just float. I'm going to go get some help. At first she was a little nervous, but he looked at her and said, baby girl, I promise you I'll be back. So that girl laid on her back. That teenager began to float. And the story said that daddy was gone for an hour. Took him an hour to get in, to get some help, get a boat and get back. One of the guys in the boat was a close friend of that girl and he was mad at the dad. Thought he was an abusive dad. How can a dad leave his daughter in the ocean? He thought we'll never find her, never see her. When that boat came over the white caps, there she was, bobbing in the ocean, that girl serenely with her arms behind her head, looking up at the blue sky, just floating. And that guy was the first one to pull her in the boat. And as he hugged her, he said, well, I don't believe it. You're not even shaking. Weren't you the least bit afraid? She said, why no? My father promised me that he was coming back. And my father always keeps his promises. Can I tell you the greatest promise keeper of all has promised us he's coming back. And you know what? I believe him, don't you? I believe him. The Bible says there's a promise. We're going to be taken. But there's a second thing I'm going to preach to you now. Going to get good. Don't miss this. For there's not only a promise. Number two, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a promise. And then there's a problem. Look what the Bible says about the problem in verse 39. The Bible says, and did not know until the flood came. Now look at the language of the text, students. And took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I'd never seen this before. You do know that the word took and the word taken in English means about the same thing. Sure it does. To be took or to be taken. But I was astounded in the Greek text, which is what the New Testament is written in, to find out that the word took's a little bit different. Because the word taken, I told you, means to draw to. means to receive. But this is good. The word took means something a little different. It means to be taken away in judgment. And if you look at it within the context of the text, that's exactly what happened. For the Bible says Noah built the ark, gathered everybody on the ark, the animals and his family. And then the floods came and those that were outside the ark were took away in judgment. The Bible said they were left behind. Let me tell you when that really came to light in a little country church in South Carolina. Oh, I don't know. It's been 10 years or so. I was preaching there and it was a little church and that we were having about a hundred people a night, which was like a record for them. And oh, by the way, can I just go ahead and tell you, I'm in about 42 or three churches a year and it don't matter the size of church to me. I'd rather preach to 50 live ones and 500 dead ones any day of the week. I'm going to tell you all right now. Well, preacher, they had about a hundred there. Well, that night, the pastor's son, little four or five year old, he was cutting up. He was being bad. His mama was sitting with him on the second row of the, of the, of the, pew right behind me and that kid talked from the time the service started mama was getting mad he was trying to get away from her running up and down the pew one time he got on the end of the pew bounced like a horsey one time he got under the pew started playing with my socks I mean that kid I don't know it had too much sugar he was A-D-D-D-D-D-D or something but he kept talking to his mama brother Ron during all the music he kept saying these words take me out I want a drink take me out I want a drink Take me out, I want to drink. If that kid said that once, he said it a hundred times. And every time his mother would say, shh, 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 shh. But it didn't matter. He kept saying, take me out, I want to drink. And finally, mama, she had had it. 
Any woman know what I'm talking about? She'd had it, buddy. I mean, she reached over and grabbed that kid by the hand, and I saw her when they walked in front of me. I'm sitting right here on the front row, and she's dragging that kid out, and he's already putting the brakes on. And she's dragging that kid out, the door on this side, the bathrooms were on the other side. And then that kid to the top of his lungs, while Brother Ron, a brother was singing, but it didn't matter, that kid to the top of his lungs was saying this in front of the whole church. Never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm not thirsty, I'm not thirsty, I'm not thirsty. And you know what suddenly hit me one day, I was reading this text, oh, this will preach right here. I thought, that kid wasn't being taken, he was being took out. Everybody got it? He was being took out. I mean, that old boy was going out for judgment. He was being took out. Well, the Bible says that's what's going to happen. For the Bible says one day when Jesus speaks in the clouds, he's going to take some of us. Those that are saved. That doesn't mean they're better than anybody else. Those that are redeemed by the blood. I got to think about that preacher. You know, we're going to leave here his voice. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's going to shout. His voice, at his voice, the dead will rise. At his voice will be changed. His supernatural voice, you say, can he do that? Are you kidding me? We're talking about the voice, according to Colossians 1.16, that spoke everything into existence, the voice of Jesus. His voice, when Jesus spoke, his voice, just his voice, darkness burst into light. When he spoke, nothing became everything. When he spoke, mountains rose from the ground. And then think about the Bible, says students, when that voice was put in a human body and Jesus walked this earth, the Bible says in the New Testament, never did any man speak like this man. When Jesus spoke, demons ran from him and cripples ran to him. When he spoke, the deaf listened up and the blind looked up and the lame leaped up. When he spoke, Lazarus came out of the grave When he spoke on the cross in a loud voice, dead bodies came out of the grave. So I have no trouble believing that one day he's going to speak and I'm going to leave this earth just because he calls me. Because see, you're either going to hear his voice or you're not. So let me make it real simple. Everybody under the sound of my voice, whether you're in this building or watching on live stream, everybody, everybody is either going to be taken or you're going to be took. Everybody. There's nobody in between. Everybody's either going to be taken or took. So I got to say two quick things about that. Then I'll go to my last point. Two quick things about being taken or being took. Number one, you got a problem if you're took. And your problem is this, you've got a separation. And we don't talk about that much. Notice the separation in verse 40 and 41. We've already looked at the word taken. Look what it says in verse 40. Then two men will be in the field at work. One will be taken and the other, what's that last word? Everybody say it out loud. Then he says it in verse 41. He says two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. That word left, it's astounding, is the same Greek root word as the word took. So it goes in the context. He says at the rapture of the church, he says those that are saved are going to be taken, drawn away. But those who are lost are going to be taken away or took in judgment. That's what he's saying. There's no puny preacher that can describe it. Brother Jonathan, I've heard the rapture all my life. Used to preach it fervently in the 1970s and it seems like back in that day and in the 80s folks would be arrested when they would hear about folks being taken and that boggles our mind to think about the separation. Students, I can't imagine a man driving down the road and all of a sudden the rapture comes saying it's on a busy interstate and he sees car wrecks in front of him because those that are driving are going to be taken. Those cars are not going to stop automatically. 
Planes will be pilotless. Can you imagine a man on a busy interstate looking at the wrecks in front of him, gets to the side of the road, picks up his cell phone to try to call his wife, and she doesn't answer because she's a believer. She's saved. She's been taken. He'll never see her again. He's been left. Or how about the teenager, y'all, that comes home from school and he's hungry and he pulls his earbuds out of his ear and throws his backpack on the table and mama's cooking in the kitchen. He smells it. Says, mom, what's for supper? I'm starved. But he walks in. Mom's not there. Her, her clothes are laying at the base of the stove. Food is boiling over the stove. She's cooked him his last meal. She has been taken and he's left. Or what about the guy in the corner office at the business building? You know, the guy that witnessed everybody. They, they think he's crazy. But by the way, he's the guy everybody goes to when they got a problem. Because they want him to pray. Well, they can't find him. Reports are coming in on the internet, in the office, about people being missing. And they can't find him. They walk in his office. His clothes are in the chair. His Bible's on the desk. His wife's picture's on the desk. They'll never ask him another question. He's been taken. And they've been left. What about the old saint down in the hospital who's dying of cancer? They can't find her weak, frail body. They're looking under bed sheets and under the bed. But she's been taken, and they've all been left behind. It's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I believe a husband will reach over one night to put his arm around his wife in the bed, and his arm will fall on the wrinkled bed sheet because she's been taken I believe that children will not come home one day because they've been taken. I didn't say it. God said it. It's going to happen. Preacher, I'll never forget this. I didn't share this in the early service. I meant to, but it got away from me. Uh, It's been, oh, 30 years ago. I'd first gone into traveling evangelism. Only time my wife ever did this. Our little boy, we just had a... Our little boy, we had one little kid then. Our daughters were already, uh, you know, nine, ten years old. Jonathan, who works for me now, was just a little bitty kid, and he had a bad cough that night. And I was tired. I'd just come off the road, and I went to bed. My wife went to bed, and she did something she's only done one time in her whole marriage. She got up in the middle of the night. She said I was sleeping soundly. She didn't want to wake me. And she went down to an all-night pharmacy in our community to get him some cough syrup. And why she did this, I'll never know. She got up, took off her nightgown, laid it on the bed just where she'd been laying. Why would you do that, man? And she left. And naturally, preacher, I woke up. I woke up after she'd been gone, and I could not hear her next to me. And I went to put my arm around her. She was not there. So I turned on the light. Judy, Judy, where are you? She wasn't in the house. Now, can I tell everybody something? I looked over and saw her nightgown laying on the bed. And folks, I'm saved. I'm an evangelist. I'm a preacher. But can I tell y'all at that moment, I had Holy Ghost revival. I want y'all to know that right now. And I went to the garage and saw the car missing, and I went, thank the Lord. (laughs) Now, preacher, I don't doubt my salvation, but I'm telling you, that got my attention. Now, folks, that's what it's going to be at the rapture. You do understand that, don't you? This is not funny. I'm not trying to be cute today. That's what's going to happen. Husbands will look for wives and wives for husbands. Parents will look for children. Teenagers will look for parents. I believe many of them will come to the church house and fall at altars and pray because Things seem hopeless and they are indeed hopeless because there's a separation. Never be with your family again, your loved ones again, because they're saved and you're not. So the Bible says there'll be a separation. But then I got to give you this one before I go to my last point. There's another problem. But there's not only the problem of a separation, there's the problem of tribulation. Those that are left behind. You do know Jesus talked about tribulation in this very chapter. Back up just for a moment, just to show you where we are. Look at Matthew 24, verse 21. 
just briefly, what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, same chapter, for then there will be great tribulation, such as was not, such as has not been, excuse me, since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever will be. Students, this is talking about the great tribulation. I mean, you've read about that. You've heard about that. Just to show you where we are, because I want to be doctrinally sound, this passage, Matthew 24, is not a passage on the rapture. I've chosen it today because verses 40 and 41 are great illustrations of the rapture. But this is a tribulation chapter. This is talking about the signs of the times before Jesus comes back to earth the second time all the way to the planet. And I've got to tell you this so you'll understand. The rapture and the second coming are the revelation or two different events. You know that, don't you? Oh, come on. At the rapture, he's coming in secret. At the revelation, he's coming in spotlight. At the rapture, he's coming privately. At the revelation, he's coming publicly. At the rapture, he's coming with a shout. At the revelation, he's coming with a sword. At the rapture, he's coming to take out. At the revelation, he's coming to take over. He's coming all the way back down to the earth to rule and reign. But before he does that, he's going to rapture us. He's going to take us out of this world to be with him in heaven. The rapture. The rapture has got to be first. Say, well, Brother Rick, aren't these signs for the rapture? No, there are no signs for the rapture. These are signs of the second coming. And if the rapture comes before the second coming, that means you better be ready. Because Jesus could come today. Today. And you've got the problem, student. And in this day of incredible graphics and computer-generated scenes in movies, Hollywood couldn't produce a scene like the tribulation. When 19 horrible plagues will be poured out on the earth, the first two alone, which will wipe out half the population, it's not because God is cruel. God is not cruel. God loves us. Brother Jonathan, I'll never forget it. I was preaching years ago in the state of Alabama. And I preached on hell. And in the middle of the sermon, there was probably 600 people there that night. A man in the back jumped up and screamed, what a cruel God. And he stormed out. Now I was preaching. Now that will interrupt your preaching. I mean, that'll make the whole service stop. So everybody was stunned for a moment. I stopped. But I gathered myself finally. I'll admit it took me a couple of minutes to get back together again. And I finished preaching. Well, after the service, people were talking about that. That a man jumped up when I preached on hell and said, what a cruel God and stormed out. But the God didn't stay for the rest of the message. He didn't stay to hear me talk about the loving God that is going to give us not what we deserve. Hallelujah. But what we don't deserve. We're not going to hell. We're going to heaven because he poured his grace out upon us. Because listen to me, because I love you. If you died on your best day, you're not good enough to get into heaven. Not good enough because all of us have sinned. But God in his mercy, Ron just sung about it, gave us Jesus on the cross. And that's why we stand before him whole and saved because of the blood of the lamb. But if you've never been saved, God has no choice. God has no choice. You will be dismissed in the lake of fire. I'm preaching today about the coming of the Lord. It is a promise. It is a problem for those left behind. There's a separation or tribulation. I'm closing with this. I'm already on number three. Number three, there's a priority. Let me close this way. He talks about the promise. He talks about the problem. Then he talks about the priority. Look what he says in verse 42, the last verse of the text. He says this. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now look at me, church. He's speaking to the church because the disciples are the ones that ask him about the end of the world at the beginning of the chapter. So when Jesus says, watch, he's talking to us. He says, watch. Then he says, for you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. So brother Jonathan, it's a reminder of me. We need revival because he's talking to the church. 
He says, be alert and awake. Here's what stuns me. It's possible to be saved and not be ready for the rapture. It's possible. If you're living in sin, you're not ready for the rapture. You're going to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. But you've got to go to the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll not be judged for your sins, but for your works. That that sin might have inhibited. And so... He says, be ready, be watching, be obedient, be using your gift. I told the early service this morning, I got saved as a 16-year-old boy. I never got over it. I never got over it. I love Jesus more today than I loved him when he first saved me. Is he not a great God? Can you shout amen? I mean, son, he loved me. He saved me. I love to praise him. I love to read his word. I love to go to church, students. I love it. Not cause, I'm not at church today because I got to go to church. I'm at church because I get to go to church, man. Amen. I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over the joy of knowing Jesus. And if you've gotten over it, you know what you need? You don't need salvation. You only get saved once. You need revival. God, restore to me your joy. Restore to me your passion and power because I want to be ready when you come again. And then maybe somebody may not be ready because you're playing a religious game and you're not really saved. My wife, Judy, is the greatest Christian I know. She's by far the greatest Christian in our house. We figured it out the other day, preacher. Uh, I've been on the road for 33 years and um, we've probably been separated 14 years because many of my revival ministries go Sunday to Wednesday. No, she travels with me more today. Um, she was raising those kids early in those years. So we've been separated a lot. She is the greatest Christian I've ever met. Packs my luggage for me every week. But you know, my wife wasn't saved when I was a pastor. Didn't know that. I thought if anybody saved, it's my wife. She had a radiant smile, sang in our choir, taught preschool children, the first lady of the church. But I was pastoring a church in North Florida, not terribly far from here, the church I left to go into traveling evangelism. One night, I'm standing down front for the invitation, had my eyes closed. Suddenly, I heard a voice say, Rick, and I looked up, and standing in front of me is the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife, Judy. Tears rolling down her face. She said, honey, I'm lost. I couldn't believe what she was saying. I thought, she's lost her joy or something. She said, honey, I'm lost. I was a little staggered, preacher, so we got to the altar as quick as we could. Our associate pastor took my place, and my wife testified at the altar, and she said, Honey, I've prayed a thousand prayers. But she said, I've never let go. I've never truly surrendered. She told me her testimony. How she walked down the aisle when she was an eight-year-old girl. How she walked down the aisle when she was a 14-year-old girl one night when a preacher preached a sermon on hell and scared her to death. But nobody ever prayed with her, talked with her. She did not confess and repent. She married a preacher. But the Bible says in Matthew 7, folks are going to preach and still not get into heaven. I mean, you can go to church and do all the right stuff and still not get into heaven. My wife's poured her heart out of the altar. And she told me this, preacher. She said, every time this comes up, her conviction, she said, the devil reminds her how much she goes to church and gives and works and serves. My wife said two things. And if she was here today, I'd let her testify. She said, but honey, I know I don't go to heaven because of what I do. I go to heaven because of what he's done on the cross. Second thing my wife said to me was, because of you and your reputation, I've not sealed this. I've not done this. I didn't know what folks would say. I didn't know if they'd criticize. My sweet wife said this at the altar, but honey, I'm not going to go to hell because of what other people think. You know what she did that now, students? She surrendered her heart. I didn't lead her in any kind of prayer. She surrendered her heart. She opened her heart. The Bible says this, in order to be saved, we must repent. Old things pass away, all things become new. 
It's not a game. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. So that night, she's on her knees. She surrendered her heart to Jesus. And you know what? I thought she was a good Christian before. You ought to see her now. Because she really got saved. But if my wife had died before that time or the rapture had come, my wife would not have been in heaven. She was playing a religious game. And that night, she gave her heart to Christ. Can I just tell you this before we bow our heads? I was testifying with a woman recently who was doubting her salvation. I asked her to give me her testimony. You know what she said? She said, well, I remember when I came up to the front of the church. Then she looked at me and shook her head and said, but that's not good enough, is it? And I thought, no. See, it's not enough to come to the front of the church. You've got to go to the foot of the cross. It's not enough to be baptized in water. You've got to be washed in the blood. It's not enough to be a church member. You've got to be born again. Bow with me all over the building. Would you do that? Every head bowed, every eye closed all over the house. Your pastor is so precious. And between the two services, he said to me, Brother Rick, you preach whatever's on your heart. But I tell you, I prayed about it all during the music, Brother Jonathan, and I just felt compelled that this was the message God wanted preached in this hour. I don't know who needs it. Maybe somebody listening on live stream, but somebody does. Right now, I'd like to just pray a simple prayer. I call the prayer of repentance. There's no magic in the prayer. It means nothing because a preacher is praying it. But I'm going to pray right now. And I'm going to invite somebody to pray with me. But you're not praying to me. You're praying to the Lord. I'm going to pray it out loud, but you can pray it in your heart. But I'm going to invite somebody to pray right now and invite Jesus to save your soul. Would you be willing to do that? I'm going to pray it right now. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner And I need to be saved. I believe you died for me on the cross, Jesus. And you rose again. You are Lord. So Jesus, right now, the best way I know how, I repent of my sins. I confess you right now as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul today. I'll serve you because I love you. I'll never be ashamed of your holy name. If you come right now, I will be taken, taken.